Eddie Cole last fall became uh, the district superintendent of our association of churches in the east, we call the Eastern District. Prior to this, Eddie was uh, pastoring Salem Church in Staten Island for 12 years. Uh, Eddie knows our area. He knows our culture. He has seen God work in great ways through his own ministry in New York. And Eddie is a gifted communicator that God has mightily used, and he will use as he shows uh, us, the Lord does through Eddie, what God is doing in the mission of his church, locally, regionally, and globally. So Eddie, come. God bless you in the ministry, and we're so glad you can be here. Good morning. It is good to be with you today. Thank you, Pastor Barry, for inviting me. I'm really sorry that Kevin, our president, can't be here next week. Um, But on the other hand, I'm kind of glad because I get now to speak to you twice. I want you to know, uh, Pastor Barry, did you guys happen to notice those slides, by the way? The pictures and stuff Mark and Katie brought for us. Did you see that picture of Bear, uh, Pastor Barry up there? The one with the guy laying across the... Uh... Was that you, Pastor? <laughs> the... <laughs> no, that was me. I'm sorry. That was me. Um, I, Mark and Katie uh, came uh, uh, after Hurricane Sandy. They came to Staten Island along with Reach Global, and they did some ministry with us there. And I want to say thank you. It's uh, what going on... It's about two and a half, three years late now, but thank you. I had sent a note to uh, your, your pastor after it, but this church uh, was very gracious and very generous to us after Hurricane Sandy hit, and uh, God uh, used your gift to us to enable us to do so much ministry in Staten Island that it was absolutely amazing. We went in with a motto that was uh, as follows, we're not here just to help people rebuild their homes, but to rebuild their lives. And so we didn't just go in and help people make it through the immediate aftermath, but we set up shop with Reach Global, who you guys support, and we worked with them for almost two years. And uh, so I just want to say thank you for making that happen. Uh, I was on the receiving end of your heart as a church for missions. And so thank you uh, for supporting us as we work with Reach Global. I, I do not have whatever gifts I may have. I will tell you two things. Number one, I am not as gifted at preaching as my wife is for singing. So let me go ahead and lower the bar on that. And secondly, let me say I don't have the gift of brevity in my preaching, which is why I'm glad we have two weeks together and not just one. So now I can speak to you twice. This morning, what I want to talk with you about is uh, really one primary thought. And it is found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. And I'm going to speak with you a message that hopefully will, will hit home with you. It will encourage you. But it will also at the same time set us up for what we're going to do next week as I, as I set Bethlehem Church in the context of being a part of the greater work that God is doing in the free church and in his kingdom around the world. So that's what my aim is going to be this week and next. And so today, I hope, however, to really bring this home and with the help of the Lord, just lay this at your feet and make missions practical. Because here's what I want you to know. God has a mission for the church. And his mission for the church 
is an invitation for every one of us to be involved. God wants every one of us to be involved in what He's doing in the world. And so that's my aim this morning, and then we'll elaborate on that a little bit more next week. But if you look back with me in Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is writing from a Roman prison, and he's writing to some believers that he had impacted through his ministry sometime before in a, an urban area that was very multicultural, very pagan, pagan to the likes of which uh, all I can say is my wife went to Ephesus a few years ago and she came back saying to me, there is no sense of perversion under the sun that is new. She said, I saw the artwork, I saw the pottery, I saw some of the things that were going on in Ephesus a couple of uh, millennia ago, and she said, there's nothing new under the sun as it relates to immorality and sin. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of believers who really stand out in their culture. And in standing out and in sharing the gospel, in advancing the gospel, they have the opportunity to help the gospel stand out even more brightly. And they have the opportunity of lifting Jesus very high because it's against the darkest backgrounds that the light of the gospel shines brightest. It's in the darkest hour that Jesus Christ is more attractive. And so with that being said, I want you to see Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, and then we'll put it in its context as Pastor Barry read for us earlier, and I so appreciate being uh, given the invitation to be here. I'm very honored, and uh, thank you for it. But the uh, Apostle Paul says that what God was doing through the church in verse 10 was displaying the manifold wisdom of God. He said that God's intent was now through the church that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose, which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk with you about displaying the manifold wisdom of God. And I want to do that by breaking my message down in three ways. Number one, I want to answer the question, who is the church? And then secondly, I want to talk about what does the church do? And then thirdly, I just want to say God's mission, the church's mission, our mission is your invitation and mine, individual. Because I don't want to just preach a message to a group of people. I want to preach to you. Every Sunday, I'm aware after having pastored for almost 15 years, I pastored in Alabama. How many of you uh, could probably tell that I did not grow up near Brooklyn? Yeah, I live out in Mechanicsburg, Harrisburg area out in Pennsylvania now. I'm out there with the Amish, and that was after spending almost 13 years with the Mafia over in Staten Island. And so uh, I I have to tell you, though, coming back this direction, getting closer to the city in a very weird way makes me feel more and more at home. How many of you grew up in New York or in the metro area right there very closely? See, that just makes me feel oddly at home for some reason. But um, I sound like I'm from the South, but my heart is given to this area. I just want you to know that. Pastor Barry, you grew up in Brooklyn, right? 
spent some time doing ministry there. Okay, I knew there was a Brooklyn connection. And I see friends from Brooklyn here, so it's good to see you. Let me answer the question, who is the church? As the Apostle Paul is writing to the Ephesians, here's what he would tell us. I'm not going to read it all. It would be way too much and take way too much time. But you, you, you owe yourself uh, going back and reading Ephesians. What an incredibly rich book. But if you go back and you read Ephesians chapter 1, here's what you will find the Apostle Paul teaches us about who the church is. And notice I'm not saying about what the church is. Because the church is not a building. A church is the people. The church is a living, breathing organism. And this building has no pulse and it needs no oxygen. The church is a living, breathing people. That would be you. That would be me. There's the visible church, those who profess faith in Christ. And then there's the invisible church in the sense of we don't know. You could go anywhere in the world. There may be a believer there, but they're not walking around with some kind of a sign on their forehead that says church or Christian or anything like that. There is, there is simply the people of God. Who are those people? Well, when you look in chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, you would see that those people are people who have been chosen by God the Father. From before, it, I mean, in eternity past, from before time, you were chosen and loved by God the Father. You would go right on through and you would see the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that the church is those who are redeemed by God's Son. God loves the church. Jesus loves the church. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. The church is made up of people who have been redeemed. That means that when Christ shed his blood, when he stretched out his arms and he died, he died for those who would believe. He died for the sins of the world, for all the people of all time who would place their faith in Christ that they might be saved. Scratch that. They would be saved. They have been redeemed. The blood of Jesus has been paid on their behalf for every sin they have ever committed or ever will commit. The church is made up of people who are loved, chosen by God the Father, and redeemed by God the Son. And if you look in chapter 1 a little further, you'll see in verses 12 through 14, they are sealed by the Holy Spirit, S-E-A-L-E-D, sealed, protected, guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Done deal. You have been given the Holy Spirit, I have been given the Holy Spirit, and we are alive in God, protected, secured, at work, upon, by God the Holy Spirit. And so I just want you to know this morning that you can start every day knowing that as a member of the church, you are saying that you are God's child. You are needing to say to yourself on occasion, I have been chosen by God the Father. I am so loved that Jesus shed His blood for me. I am so loved by God that He has chosen to not live in a temple somewhere made with hands, but He lives now in me. We don't go to church, we are the church. We are the people of God. Can somebody say amen? 
Now, I just want you to know that is a beautiful thing, and especially for those of us who struggle with identity, for those of us who struggle with security, for those of you who struggle, as I have in my life, because of the relationship with, with a dad who didn't have a dad. He, he provided for me. He protected for me. He didn't know how to always show me love, and because of that, I've had an issue every now and then with feeling like God loved me. But how many of you know that feelings aren't always accurate? Feelings sometimes lie, do they not? Feelings are fickle, but here's what you need to know. The Word of God never changes. He saw you in eternity past as rotten, as sinful as you might have been. And He loved you anyway. He set His affection upon you, and when Jesus came to die, He came to die for you. And He sent the Holy Spirit into your heart so that you might know that every single day it is not based upon how you feel, but upon the fact of what His Word says. That's who you are. You are the church. And not only that, but if you look in Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul would say very clearly that you are people who have, and I said just a minute ago, that you were sinful, that you were rotten. Now, some of you, that might offend. If you're not a Christian yet, you may be thinking, who are you talking about being sinful and rotten? Well, you. <laughs> I, I don't want to offend you, but I mean, you're pretty tough. You don't live in this area without being pretty tough. You've probably been called worse than sinful and rotten. Probably not in church, but you are sinful and rotten according to the scriptures. If you go back and you read through Ephesians chapter 2, here's what it actually says it says that you were to God dead in your sins and your trespasses. You were a rebel, you were one who had committed treason against God. There was Nothing in you that, were, that made you an object of His love. As a matter of fact, verse 4 of Ephesians 2 said, You were by nature a child of wrath. Wow. Did you know that? But here's the good news. Thank God. It says right after that, You were by nature an object of wrath. But in verse 4, but because of His great love for us. Hallelujah. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses. It is by grace you have been saved. I just want you to know here this morning, if you're not a believer, you're looking here at somebody, I don't look at you and think you're just a sinful, fallen, rotten, terrible person. You're worse than me. I think of myself when I think of sinners. I think, dear God, how could God love me? The Apostle Paul, the one writing this, this letter to the Ephesians, when he's early on writing his letters, he talks about being the least of the apostles. A little bit later, he talks about being the least of the saints, which would be the people in the church, you know, when we come together. And then as he gets toward the end of his life, are you listening to me? He says, I am the chief of sinners. The closer you get to the Lord, the more, more you realize you are absolutely amazingly forgiven and loved. Because the closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize you're not like Him. You have not one ounce of self-righteousness. 
you realize without His grace, you are desperately lost. I just want you to know this morning, if you're still not a Christian, I want you to know you're in the right place this morning. I am so glad that you're here. I just called you sinful and uh, rotten a minute ago, but I want you to know you're looking at a guy that sees himself far worse than you probably feel about yourself. I've been a womanizer. I have been a drunk. I have been a self-centered guy. I have been terrible at times in my life. But when I was a young adult, I went from being a, going to a church building like you are in right now to becoming a part of the church. You see, when I was a kid, I went to a Baptist church. And you know what I remember about that church? I remember the first church that I went to. I remember that it smelled like saltine crackers. The second church that I went to, another Baptist church. You know what I remember about that church? Aside from the fact they picked us up in school buses. And I was afraid for my life every time they did that. Because we were, me and my older brother were like the smallest kids on the bus. And we were near housing projects. So I just thought, we're going to get mauled before we get to church. We never did, thank God. But what I remember about that church is two things. We would go in, I remember smelling Krispy Kreme donuts and chocolate milk. Krispy Kreme donuts. Amen. I'm a little distracted with that thought, Barry. I remember the donuts. I remember getting baptized because my cousin Ronnie got baptized in that church. It was an old... Independent Fundamental Baptist Church, they, they dunked me with Ronnie, my cousin. I came up, I got up wet. I mean, they said, do you want to get baptized? And my, they said, your cousin Ronnie's getting baptized. I said, sure. I had no idea what baptism meant. But I got baptized. And then a little later on, I got to tell you, I saw the gospel at work in my dad's life. My dad was a function. My mother was a saint. My mother is a saint. My dad was a functioning alcoholic, a Vietnam veteran, very violent man from a very violent family. He never abused me or my mom or anything like that. Don't misunderstand. But like many people that have been to war and grown up in violent families, he, that was kind of his nature. My, uh, there are a lot of stories there, but I'm going to tell you something. When I was in junior high school, God gave me a new dad, and God gave me a new family. I saw that when I was in junior high school at a little Methodist church. I remember that in that little Methodist church, paying no attention to anything, hearing a man cry while I was up in the balcony kicking little paper footballs with my brother. And I turned around and looked, and it was my dad, this giant of a man kneeling down on this altar, crying, praying, pouring his heart out to God. God gave me a new dad that day. That was the power of God. But I didn't get it then. They sprinkled me there. I was baptized once again. It was a Methodist church. Here they sprinkled me. By the time I got into high school, I was going down the same road as my dad. I was doing the same things that had led him down the road that he had been on. I went in the Marine Corps right out of high school. When I got out of the Marine Corps, um, I ended up going to East Tennessee State University. I'm going to fast forward. I ended up meeting the Lord while I was a student at East Tennessee State University. And I, while I was in the Marine Corps, by the way, just so you'll know, I went from a Baptist church to a Methodist church to a Catholic church. Because all my buddies were from the Northeast. And when I was hanging around with the guys from the Northeast, they were obviously going to the Catholic Church. And if that's where they were going, that's where I was going. And so I went there, and I liked the Catholic Church anyway. It was shorter. The services were shorter. You stood up, and you, you knelt, and there was all kinds of activity throughout that. 
and there was just, you know, the Catholic Church was more active. You know, I don't know anything about what was spiritually going on. But when I ended up meeting the Lord, I want you to know something. It wasn't just about going to a church building. It was about hearing that I could not save myself. That no matter how many times I'd been baptized, no matter how many good works I did, no matter how much money I could give, no matter how many times I even stood up and said, I'm sorry, God, I could never earn my way into heaven. I could never uh, bring peace from God to myself. I could not make this happen. I was finally told, you can't do this. But that is why Jesus came. Jesus came for you because you could not get to Him. And if you'll simply turn from your sin and receive Him and receive that gift of salvation, He will give you forgiveness and give you His life and He'll make you part of His family. And I want you to know something. I am a son of the living God before you today. I don't stand before you because I've got it all together. I don't stand before you because I'm smarter. I don't stand before you because of any reason except I'm a son of the living God who saw fit to choose me and to serve his church by sending me out to preach this glorious gospel that says we are not saved by our works, but by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. And verse 10 says this in Ephesians 2, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Are you with me so far? Say amen if you are. Here's what I want you to know. The church is the people of God. The church is a people that God has brought out of darkness into his marvelous light. The church is a group of people who realize that they could not save themselves but have received God's mercy. The church is a group of people who now have purpose, and that purpose is serving God. I want you to know something. Who is the church? The church is not just Bethlehem Church. It's not just Salem Church. It's not just the Evangelical Free Church of America. The church is the people of God. The church is made up of people who have received His wonderful, wonderful grace. And I want you to know something. That night, I received Christ. It changed my life. Has Christ changed your life? Have you received the grace of God? Because when I talk about what the, the, the job is, the mission of the church, I want you to know you're not going to be motivated to do the mission unless you're motivated by grace. You're not going to be motivated to persevere when it's not easy unless you're motivated by grace. So what does the church do? When you go on and look in Ephesians chapter 2, the Jew and Gentile have been, the divisions are gone. The church is made up of Jew and Gentile, people who used to hate each other, now they're together. And not only that, but you get over into Ephesians 3, leading us up to right where we are right now. The church, the church is a people who have a job to let the light of the wisdom of God shine through us. We are here, Ephesians 3.10, to display the manifold wisdom of God. What does the church do? 
we display the wisdom of God to this dark world that we live in. 1 Timothy 1.16, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, writes this. He says, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in Him for eternal life. Listen to what Paul said. I received mercy that in me, Jesus might display His perfect patience. How many of you think you require the patience of your husband or your wife? Raise your hand. How many husbands or wives would say, my husband or wife requires my patience sometimes? I'm not wanting to start arguments in here this morning. But not many people know you, maybe no one knows you like your spouse. And what makes a marriage work is love, patience, forgiveness. What the Apostle Paul says here is really profound in its importance. God didn't call me because of my righteousness, because of my intellect, because of my stick to God called me that He might display through me His perfect patience as an example. I want you to know something. What the church is to be doing is to displaying to a lost and dying world, a dark world, the infinite wisdom and ultimate victory of God. When you look in the bulletin outline that I, or that I gave to the, to the men, you'll, you'll find that there's a verse there, Jesus gave when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He says, You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. What does the church do? The church displays the manifold wisdom of God. The church shines. Every one of us living our lives for the glory of God in every way, in every day that we live, bringing Christ by the Holy Spirit into everything that we do, we serve Him and in serving Him and not ourselves. When we serve Him, we are light shining in the darkness. How many ladies have received an engagement ring in the past? Most likely, your husband went and bought that engagement ring, and it was set against a dark background, probably in a jewelry store. I'm assuming it wasn't in Chinatown or something like that. It was probably against a dark background with, with something, some kind of light coming down on it so that it shines its brilliance. And the idea there is to make the beauty of the diamond shine brightly. Well, in order for the brilliance of the diamond to, to sparkle, there has to be a dark background. If it's just surrounded in all kinds of light, you're not going to see the light for all that it is. Well, when the Apostle Paul is talking about the manifold wisdom of God shining to rulers and authorities in heavenly places, here's what I want you to understand. There is a vertical dimension as well as a horizontal dimension. A horizontal dimension is that everyone around us, 
When they see us living for a higher purpose than ourselves, other people look at us and they see that and they wonder why. I'll come back to that in just a second, but I'll say this. The second thing is there's a vertical dimension to it. You see, when sin came into the world, there was a darkness that came over the world. And with that darkness was death and and the backdrop of the world is that it's sinful, it's fallen, and it's broken. And as we know the whole gospel story, in the end, God's going to clean all this mess up. But until then, God's still at work. And His wisdom is being shown right now in every good deed performed by any one of God's children. Now, in my three minutes remaining, I want to make this very practical. What does the church do? The church shines so that the world can see that there's a people here who represent the Lord and His goodness on this planet. What does the church do? The church serves so that those rulers and authorities, there's some kind of a a vertical dimension, meaning the angelic beings. Some commentators believe that's the angels that are right now alive by the Lord. I can imagine that would be them. They're curious. They're curious. First Peter, Peter writes and says that when they looked at Calvary, they were curious what was going on. The angels desired to look in and say, what's going on that the Son of God would hang on a cross? They're angels that are watching this world that we live in right now. And there are fallen angels as well. And depending on who you're speaking to, some will say, no, it's the heavenly angels that see this. Others would say, no, it's the fallen angels. And this is, this is victory being proclaimed over them. Every time the church, every time a Christian does something good and it glorifies God, it's those fallen angels being reminded, God wins. God wins. God wins. It looks dark right now, but remember, against the darkest background, it's then that the light shines the brightest. So how does the church do it? The church's mission, my invitation. Here's how I want to close. I just want to make this very practical. First of all, if you're not, if you've never given your life to Christ this morning, I just want to extend an invitation to you. God loves you. I believe you're not here by accident. You're here this morning because God wants you to know He loves you with an infinite love. He knows everything about you. And yet He sent His Son to die on the cross to pay for your sins. He sent His Son that you might have life. He doesn't want you laying in bed wondering if you're going to heaven when you die. He wants you laying in bed praising Him because you know that should you die before you wake, He will take your soul, and you'll be with Him forever. He knows you, and He loves you with an infinite love. So that's first and foremost. Receive Christ. Second thing I want to say is start your day with Him every day. I start my morning every morning with, after I brush my teeth, I make myself some coffee. Any coffee lovers here? I know this is a coffee-loving church because your very foyer when you walk in tells me this is my kind of church. You like coffee. I pour my hazelnut creamer in my coffee before I pour my coffee. Every morning. Why? Because when I do, that hazelnut comes up throughout the whole cup. It flavors everything. I don't even have to stir it. I put the hazelnut in, then I pour the coffee in, and it's just naturally stirred. Everything is the way it's supposed to be. It's a good day when I start my day with that. I want you to know when you start your day with the Lord, can I encourage you, start your day on the right foot. 
You can get up with Fox News, CNN, and you can be depressed and discouraged all day long. Or you can start your day with the Lord. And you can start your day remembering, I'm a child of the King. I'm a child of God. I am loved. I am blessed. And no matter what I need today, He is with me. And He has purpose for me. Start your day every day with the Lord. Secondly, I just want to say, uh, turn everything you do into an opportunity to display His character. Turn everything, your work, your, your service, um, to your wife, to your children, turn everything into an opportunity to display the character of Christ. I'm not going to go any further. I'm going to end with an illustration. I told you I don't have the gift of brevity. I like to preach. When I open the Bible, I love to get in and just squeeze a verse for all it's worth. And I really have only begun here. But rather than uh, take away the children's mission part, let me just make this practical as we close. How do you turn everything into you living on mission for the Lord? Bethlehem Church, how do you live on mission for the Lord? Turn everything as a husband, as a wife, as, a, as somebody that works. Turn everything you're doing into an opportunity to shine for Christ. It can, we overcomplicate these things. It's not always what you do, it's how you do it. There are most of our jobs we can do for the glory of God, and that's our ministry. I mean, there are some things obviously you can't do. You're not going to be able to sell illegal drugs and, and turn that into something you can glorify God with. If you're a hitman, you can't turn that into the glory of something you do for the glory of God, common sense. But most of our things we can. My wife worked at Dana Lincoln Motors. We had, we had financial challenges at one point. She decided that she would make some money, and she was always interested in cars, so she went to work at Dana Lincoln Mercury in Staten Island. She started selling cars, and she was doing very well at it. And they, she, so therefore, the management really liked her. But at one point in there, they, she had a, an irate customer come out because they had set up a deal, and then the, the management came out behind uh, her, they took the people in, they worked a deal, the, the customers were irate because they had one deal with Jessica and they got another deal, I probably shouldn't have said Dana Lincoln Mercury, I'm sorry nevertheless this is a true story uh, they, the, the customer came out, they're irate, they leave Jessica goes in, she closes the door and says what happened and they started talking numbers and my wife said to them but we had a deal, and this was the deal. And they started twisting and, and moving numbers, and she said that wasn't the deal. And they said to her, well, this is how we do business. And she said, that's not how I do business. And she said, if, if I get a deal, and, then I, I need to know that my word matters here. And they said what they said, and she said, well, I need to know that you're not asking me to lie or to mislead. And they said, Jessica, they smiled and said, Jessica, we'll never ask you to lie or mislead. They respected her for saying what she said. Not only that, but she only worked there for about six months. Which, by the way, she did very well while she, while she worked there. And she was the church lady, so to speak, when she worked there because her husband was a pastor. Some people, especially a, a man who, who lived a homosexual lifestyle, didn't know how to take my wife. He thought well, he would be judged and that she would be condemning and all these kind of things. And she wasn't. She just did her job well and she loved people. I'll finish with this. 
when she told them that she was resigning, everyone was sorry to see her go. One guy came up to her and looked at her just square in the eye and said, we hate to see you go. You really classed up the joint. The man that, that thought, well, you, you know, because he, had, he was from a, a, an alternative lifestyle, a homosexual lifestyle, he didn't get condemnation from her. He got love. And she tried to witness to him and share the love of Christ with him. You know, when she left, he came up and he misty-eyed and gave her a big, huge hug and told her that he loved her. How many of you know that's practically living the gospel and then sharing the gospel when opportunity arises? Here's my encouragement. Love people till they ask you why. When they ask you why, share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn everything into an opportunity to bring glory to Christ. And then the church will shine brightly in this dark world. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the opportunity to come today. Bless this church. Bless Pastor Barry and Scott and the staff. Thank you, Lord, for their love for you. Lord, I was ordained in this church building. These people mean a lot to me. It's an honor to serve them. But today, Lord, my prayer is that they've seen and heard less from me and they've sensed more from Your Word and the power of Your Holy Spirit. Because I only have one desire today, Lord, and that's to encourage people to surrender every day to You, to live their lives for You, for this is their purpose. This is our privilege. You're inviting us today and every day to join You in Your mission And in doing so, we will have no more joyful, no more wonderful and fruitful life. Lord, let many be saved and come into the kingdom as a result of the work of this church. Renew our hearts for the gospel advancement around the world and begin it right here in this area. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Would you stand with me, please?